tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host, Roasting in Tucson, PK. How you doing tonight? As you called it, Roasting in Tucson. <laughs> I didn't tell you told me. Well, you know, the bad part is you don't get a chance to acclimate to the change. It went from cool weather to hot. And hotter. We had we've gone through 103. Now they're talking about this weekend being maybe in the low 90s. That I'll take that gratefully. So that would be yeah. nice. Everything everything's ahead of the ahead of time, and that's just not fair. No, it isn't. I, I know. And he's not <laughs> listening to me. I guess, huh? He's yeah. roasting you. <laughs> well, so I, tell us. I, 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 Happening? What's yeah. happening with the numbers this week? What's going on? A lot of stuff in well, Hawaii, that's for sure. That's oh blowing God, up. Yes, but if you re- recall when we talked about this month to begin with, we said there were going to be many strange things taking place this month, coming from umpteen different directions. And as it has proven itself to be, this month is anything but normal. Today is a day of major changes as well. And Secrets have been coming out all month long, and things have been happening that have been unsuspected, taking a look at the Hawaii incident and such as this, but nothing is anywhere near normal. And the best thing we can do is just kind of hold on to the side of the boat, ride it out, and pray that we don't get washed overboard. There's a lot of information that's going to be coming, but it may come when we least expect it, and we're all going to have to stop and think about whether it's is this really happening or is this really true? We've got too many people against everything without just saying, let's take a look and see. Let's take and be patient with what we're being shown because nobody's sleeping well. We're doing a lot of dreaming. Nobody knows which direction it's going. And it's just been too many things happening in too many different directions, as they say. So we'll just keep our fingers crossed and then hope that the powers that be give us a boost forward to make some nice things take place for all of us. Yeah, I hope so, because I'm watching Hawaii. I mean, every time I turn on the news, there's another couple of fissures that have opened up on the land. Yep. And they say 
just going to blow. The whole thing is just going to blow. So I would imagine for the people that live there, this is a very scary time. But, hey, Mother Earth is doing her thing. That's well, what's happening. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. I guess we better get your attention somehow because people aren't paying attention. And this is I, it's what it's really, about. It's about information. Well, all of what you're saying I, I can definitely relate to. I know our audience can because it does feel very unsteady as we move forward. But mm-hmm. I think you gave us all great advice. Just hang on and don't get washed overboard. And let's see That's what happens. Yeah, fasten your seatbelts, everybody. It's going to be a bit of a rough ride, but that's okay. We'll get through it. We'll definitely if get through spend, it here on Seattle. I was going to say, if you can spend time by and or around water, if it's a little fountain, if it's a bucket of water, whatever, it will help balance people out and drop down a notch or two and take away some of the stress factor. Just a tidbit. Oh, good. I like I like water. Well, that's good. It's something we can all do. We can all find it easily around here. Excellent. Well, maybe not so much in Tucson at 102, but definitely can find it here in the Northeast. <laughs> so off. we've got a great guest, <laughs> a great guest coming in tonight, Glenn Kreisberg. He has a super-duper book that we're going to be talking about, Spirits in Stone. Now, this is one of my favorite topics, and I know you love this too, because the, the stones are so powerful. And we still don't understand really much about them, but Glenn is going to clue us in on all of these mysteries. We're going to hear about it tonight. And this book deals with the mysteries in the Northeast. I sense another book coming, PK, from Glenn. Mm-hmm. This is a, maybe he's going to do the Southwest next and be out your neck of the woods. But this is a oh, very comprehensive guide. Yeah. Well, you've got some beautiful mm-hmm. spots out there, the red rocks and all of what you look at on a daily basis, so majestic. But here in the Northeast, we have all kinds of fascinating things going on, but Glenn's going to explain that in a few minutes. But first, I wanted to talk about the angel over the truck. Did you have a chance to see yes. that? My I God. Saw that. that was absolutely fascinating. And I just Wasn't can't it? believe that. Oh, and try to get it up so everybody can see it. Put it on our Facebook page. So if you guys go to Supernatural Girls with a Z Facebook page, you'll see it. I posted it there, mm-hmm. and we I got it from Fox News of all places. I mean, they posted it front and center, and I know it's been shared around the world. It is an amazing picture, and it it happened. This Michigan, this guy in Michigan, he said mm-hmm. that his most Sensor security camera captured the image of an angel floating above his truck. So, Glenn Thorman, a fire chief in East Jordan, said he was shocked when he saw the image float up and then out of the frame of his camera. I said, that's an angel, and I was just blown away. He told WPBSG. I couldn't wait to send it to my wife and send it to our pastor. I said, I got an angel. And my camera took a picture of it. So he did send it to his pastor at Jordan Rivers. And this is the church he attends. And he, <laughs> he said the pastor just freaked out when Thorman showed him the image. I bet he freaked out because the image is so incredibly clear. So, oh, my goodness. He said there wasn't any doubt in his mind that they were looking at something supernatural. So it it's was amazing. absolutely 
fabulous to see, and it makes well, us have hope. It really does. And what's so cool about it, it almost looks like Archangel Michael because he's holding what looks to be a sword in his hand. That's what I thought when I looked at it. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yep. It could be our friend Michael and very powerful imagery, very powerful photo. And I wanted to thank this man for sharing it with the world. So if you haven't seen it, go to our Facebook page and take a look. You will be so pleasantly surprised at what you see. And also we have other articles on there, all kinds of great supernatural events taking place in the world today. It's all on our Facebook page. So go there, make sure you give us a like, a follow, and then you'll be sure to be included in everything that we're reporting on. And it's just, it's just great to see all of these wonderful stories uh, that we're able to share with our audience every single day. So, again, make sure that you have, uh, you're following us. Make sure that you're signed up for our newsletter, The Fringe Files. Go to our website, SupernaturalGirlsWithAZ.com, and make sure you're part of our great community because we do have a great community here with our audience. It just couldn't be any better. So this, again, this is a great topic tonight. We are on our way to find out the secret of these stones. So let me just tell everybody a little bit about Glenn. He's a radio frequency engineer, writer, researcher, and licensed outdoor guide. He's also the former editor of the author of the month page at GrahamHancock.com. And we know Graham. He's one of our favorites, right? That's for sure. He serves as director at large for the New England Antiquities Research Association. And he's also the editor of Lost Knowledge of the Ancients and Mysteries of the Ancient past and he is the co-founder of the overlook mountain center in woodstock new york and his new book that we're talking about is called spirits in stone the secrets of megalithic america decoding the ancient cultural stone landscapes of the northeast that's a mouthful i'll tell you so glad <laughs> welcome to the show hi patricia hi pk thanks for having me well we're happy Talk to have much. you with us yeah, what a great book and what a great topic. Now, what interested you in this this topic? What what pulled at your heartstrings about it that made you want to investigate all of this? Well, that's a long story, but first I want to I want to just say um you know, in your introduction uh before I came on, you talked about the picture on Facebook, so I had to go take a look. Oh. Uh, and it was very it was very compelling. <laughs> Well, I was just waiting what? around, so what else did I have to do? You know, I went over and That's took a right. look um, at uh, a wonderful picture. And, of course, I have a chapter in my book on, on orbs and orb energy. And yeah. this immediately, this type of energy and this type of manifestation, to me, struck me as something that might be related to the, to the uh, orb research done by Paul Muir, who, uh, who I discuss in, in, uh, in my book, um, and connects it to the spirit world and to uh, spirit activity. Um, so seeing in these types of vapors or these types of organized um, uh, movements of, of light and particle, um, it, you know, there, there is a lot of meaning attached to it. So, um, you know, a lot of times we, we, it's, it's uh, reflective of our own thoughts and our own frequencies. So it can take many different shapes. Yes, it can. That that was a fascinating photo, though. I'm glad you got a chance to take a look. 
So what got me into this? Um, yeah. Well, do tell. Go, going, yeah, going back to when I was a uh, a young person, um, you know, a teenager. I worked at a. I was lucky enough to work at a wonderful bookstore in Woodstock called Three Geese in Flight, which was a <laughs> a um, Celtic antiquarian uh, bookstore. You you know, used rare and old books, and um, I got exposed to a lot of different uh, ancient mythologies and ancient culture and of course if if you're talking about um you know ancient great britain and the, and the british isles and and um the celts you're talking about stone sites and you know important stone sites so um you know i had an early knowledge of these things and and um kind of they were always kicking around in my head I, also, as a younger person, I was a rock climber. I spent a lot of time with my hands on rocks, climbing up the cliffs, you know, with the ropes and, and, and putting in the gear and trying not to fall to my death. Uh, but it, it, it's um, it's maybe a connection, you know, or an extension of that. Uh, but connecting with stones has always been something that's kind of been in my blood. Now, stones from a, a Jungian perspective are representative of the soul. That's pretty powerful. It is. That's a, that's a good way to look at it because I, I think, um, you know, in, in a lot of ancient cultures, uh, people put their souls and put their, put their, their, their life essence uh, animated, these inanimate objects uh, through agency, through assigning meaning and assigning uh, relevance, and of course they wouldn't do that randomly. They would seek out the, the types of such stones and the types of locations that uh, were most conducive to to um, allowing them to express their beliefs. So, what was it that clued you in that some of these ancient people really knew how to work with these stone landscapes and how to use them as communication tools? I mean, this is very advanced. Uh, thinking on your part, which I, we love that. I mean, it's, it's really advanced and yet you're reaching back in time to these ancient cultures who clearly knew more than we did. And we do, they actually saw things in the landscape that we're blind to today. That's really true. They, they had a, um, you know, the further back in time you go, the more ancient, the, the, the civilization or the belief system, um, you know, very, very much so. That that was a, a strong aspect of it uh, in many, in many, many cases. Um, so it's not, you know, I don't find that terribly surprising. It's very powerful. I mean, if you think about it, it's like everybody thinks of the, these big structures on the planet like Stonehenge or the pyramids, but yet you have found power in much smaller structures in New England and the Northeast. Some of the pictures in the book are are not that large at all, but they have an immense amount of power about them. Well, I've, I've taken, um, I guess my methodology, you would say, is uh, GIS, um, where I'm plotting the uh, locations of these sites on the surface of the earth and then looking for patterns that, uh, you know, to be revealed. And one of the patterns that jumps out is this the uh, relationships between the locations indicate alignments with um, 
events on the horizon like solstice sunrises and sunsets and equinox sunrises and sunsets. And this is um, something that is not really well documented in the Northeast and the Northeast ancient native population is, is, um, you know, scholars are very reluctant to give them credit with doing anything like this, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, tell, telling, uh, selling them incredibly short because they, of course they, they had the, you know, they were ingenious and, and highly intelligent and were around for a long enough period of time to develop this kind of belief system just as it was developed in other parts of the world and other parts of the Western Hemisphere. You know, in, in the Midwest, in the Southwest, Central America, South America, ancient Native populations are all given credit with with building in stone and aligning their constructions with uh, events on the horizon and in the sky. So to say that it wasn't done in the Northeast is, um, you know, is a little lame. It obviously did take place. Um, there's just, you know, it was kind of a... Um, a convenient untruth for it to be thought of as there was no civilization in the Northeast before the, the Europeans arrived, that the land was free to be taken and exploited and it had never been done before. And of course it had been uh, by large groups of, of ancient populations going back 10,000 years. So um, yeah, there's, there, there's just uh, you know a lot of different footprints on top of it. But if you know how to look at, the landscape you see uh, some of these remnants um, and again the pattern that's revealed by plotting them in, in uh, c- using computer software and looking for relationships between the uh, the site locations and also the site features you know whether they're they're Karen fields or standing stones or uh, chambers or unusual large boulders um, you know, they, 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 where they're located and their relationship to each other does reveal um, a pattern that, that, you know, tells us something about the people who constructed these. Now, have you visited all these locations personally, the things that you mentioned in your book? The ones in my book I have, um, nearly all of them. They're, they're, I wouldn't say 100%, but nearly all of them. Uh, the one certainly in the Hudson Valley and Catskill Mountains and Shuangunk region of New York I have. Uh, but there are other locations that I reference because uh, I compare a lot of our sites to other sites around the world, sites in, in Europe, sites in, um, in the Middle East and, and uh, in other parts of the U.S. Um, you know, to, to show a comparison and how we see something that's very similar. Uh, there's a, a chapter by David Johnson. He's a researcher. Uh, some of your listeners may be familiar with. He's a National Geographic grant recipient and um, works with the Smithsonian. And he's been also uh, surveying these sites, uh, a lot of the sites in the Catskills, but also he's been working in central in, in um, the Southwest and in South America in the Nazca region. And he's a dowser, and he douses, and, and he's been correlating uh, hydro, hydrology, hydro, hydrologic features below surface um, with Native American construction stone sites, uh, habitation sites on the surface, and shows that they've been mapping these locations with stone, um, these underwater uh, or under, under uh, subsurface, uh, he calls areas of higher and lower permeability where the subsurface water flows through the the, you know, the, the ground, 
more easily due to fra- fissures and fractures in the bedrock. So it's a it's a very fascinating study um, Dave Johnson does and and makes some, some very very important points. Yeah. Now, when you have visited these locations personally, has anything strange happened? Anything that you would consider supernatural? Any unusual feelings of being watched or that you had people with you that weren't necessarily in bodies? Well, I, I don't claim to be the most intuitive person in the world. <laughs> uh, there are certain, <laughs> certainly people who are much more sensitive than I am in that regard. Uh, you know, what I would say is, and, and this is pretty universal for m- most um, people who visit these sites, is you are very much taken in some sense, overwhelmed by, you know, a sense of awe in um, the beauty of the site locations and the amount of work that went into constructing these these sites. Um, you know, very taken back and, and emotionally moved, at least I am, and I've seen others as well, um, because it's a connection to the earth, um, to our environment that we don't typically have these days. And you know, the ancient populations had, I think we mentioned this, you mentioned it earlier in the program, they had a very profound and intimate relationship with uh, with the natural world and with the environment in, in, in a way that we don't today, that we're kind of clueless about. And, and um, it allowed them to get something out of these sites that, um, you know, Perhaps somebody who's who's more supernaturally inclined would would still be able to tap into it today, because I do think that these sites and there is an element of them that has to do with altering our states of consciousness so that we can um, communicate with the spirit world, you know, through a through a, a shamanistic practice. Um, and I think this was very prevalent in in very ancient early culture. Definitely, and so I'm wondering it. Have you brought people to these sites and have has anybody had that type of experience where they were able to look back into the past and have a connection that is similar to what the native population would have had? Any of your guests that I may have, have accompanied I, did that? Not I, I can't I can't say that's happened personally. Um and I've I've uh you know, as an outdoor guide and as the leader of groups of people, uh, a lot of times young people, school groups, scout groups, uh, to these sites, we, we haven't had any um, unusual experiences that could we could report within that realm. Uh, I certainly would if I could, but I, uh, you know, and I, but I would say I've heard of a few other, uh, you know, oh, you anecdotal have. tales. Sure, there's a, a gentleman named Philip Umbrogno. You may be familiar with yeah. his name. He's the sure done some research, UFO research, and he studied the chambers in uh, Putnam County. There are hundred wonderful, hundreds of wonderful megalithic chambers that have solstice alignments with their entrances and that have um, uh, John Burke. He's a, a wonderful researcher. He's no longer with us, but he wrote a book called uh, Stone of Knowledge, Seed of Plenty. I think I'm getting that right. It might be the other way around. But um, show, showing how these sites had electro were built on electromagnetic hotspots places on the earth's electromagnetic field where there was a spike in electromagnetic energy usually due to geologic formations type of rock below the ground uh, but burke mapped these and philip philip also mentions them in his book on celtic chambers in new england uh, and and relates them as portals as portals for uh, mental projection um you know perhaps attained through sensory deprivation 
in these in these very dark um, isolated chambers. You know, you can get inside them and really be cut off from the outside world. Uh, a type of vision quest, also somewhat common among ancient native uh, populations. So, and and, and these chambers, uh, if they are very very ancient, they were probably used in a serial fashion by different groups of people over many different you know, over long periods of time for many different reasons, including shelter. Um, but, uh, I don't, you know, the, the, those in themselves, I do touch on them, but many have read about, uh, written about them uh, previously, so I don't really do too much on the chambers in Putnam County, but they are fascinating, really, really amazing. You know, you talk about Philip and, and his work with this. Have there been any recorded sightings of UFOs in these areas? Again, it's not exactly what I do, but I, I and I haven't really heard of that. Um, you know, there's a, a book by a, wonder, a woman named Linda Zimmerman, um, mm-hmm. Stone Sites of the Hudson Valley in northern New Jersey or something, I think. It came out a couple of years ago. I know Linda quite well. She's a very, very competent researcher, and uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating book. And it takes uh, into account a lot of sites in the, um, in the Pine Bush area. Pine Bush, New York, which is famous for its um, UFO sightings and, and encounters. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Pine Bush and the reputation it has for UFO encounters, but uh, I think there's a connection with Phil and Brogno there as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, the reason I'm bringing it up is because you mentioned the electromagnetic spikes in these areas, and sometimes it appears that correlates with UFO uh, sightings and, and other events that take place. So, I, you know, it'd be kind of an interesting study to do if somebody hasn't done it already, to start mapping that out and see where these electromagnetic spikes are, these stone landscapes that you've identified, and then sightings or unusual supernatural occurrences. Because it does seem to require some type of extra energy to have these things manifest. Right, and I think... I think um you know, taking the approach you're talking about. Uh, and again, to me, it would be, you know, plotting the different locations and the different events and looking for patterns. Um, you know, I think that's, that's not an unreasonable approach uh, because you can, you know, with databases, you can sort and filter and look for, um, you know, different distributions and different concentrations of, of events and features that can reveal something uh, like a connection between, you know, stone, you know, stone, stone sacred sites and, and unexplained disappearances, so to speak. Uh, you know, you just yeah. never know. Maybe, get into maybe these things, maybe these things lines up, these things line up, but it takes, um, you know, researchers with the skills to kind of plot it all out and, and get all the data sets in one place and sort and filter and, you know, plot and, and see what you see. Uh, so I think a lot more of it's going to be done. A lot of it's being done, and and you know more is kind of in the works. Now, when you plotted these things out, Glenn, did you have a big aha moment when the charts started coming together in front of you? I guess I did actually. Now that you say it that way, the the uh, the Overlook Mountain site in Lewis Hollow that has the Draco um, constellation. Petroform, that was really an aha moment because we had um, <clears throat> we had surveyed that site with a GIS expert from the New York State Museum, Susan Sweeney, 
and uh, she had uh, toured the site, um, surveyed it, plotted the location of all these uh, great Karens, uh, serpent walls, smaller Karens, springs, all on a 40-acre site, about 1,100 feet up on the mountain. And she sent me the GIS plot after she had done it, and I saw it and looked at it and uh, made nothing of it. Just a, a, you know, I was like, huh, that's interesting. It looked like a couple of the rows of smaller Karens were in kind of crescent rows. And, and what we had was basically um, six great Karens between 60 and 100 feet in length, uh, two serpent walls, also about 100 feet, 90 feet in length, um, and then about 46 of these smaller Karens, all scattered around uh, two uh, springs that are always, um, you know, providing water in, in that location. So um, about a year after I, I received this plot, a friend of mine, I think I showed it to him, and he said, huh, I wonder if uh, maybe there's a constellation, Pleiades, you know, maybe there's something there. So, you know, kind of skeptically, I plotted um, just everything was kind of random except um, the very large objects the large Karens and the two serpent walls, uh, six Karens, two serpent walls, there were eight locations up there that I just said, let me look at those eight objects and plotted them, connected the dots in the only logical way, and then compared them to a chart of the star, of the constellations in the Northern Hemisphere. And I was just awestruck that there was such a close match with, with the constellation Draco. And I did just uh-huh. sit there like d- kind of dumbfounded for a half a day saying, how, you know, how <laughs> could this be? You know, uh, you know, kind of c- trying to trying to convince my eyes, you know, uh, that I was really seeing it or convince my brain that my eyes were really seeing this because uh, it was so, so close a match. Um, and then, you know, and I n- had nothing and knew, never had known about the constellation Draco or its importance. Um, as a circumpolar constellation or its importance in mythology. But, of course, after that, I started studying it and understanding how important it was. Well, we're going to get into that because I want you to tell our audience why it's important. And this is this is just fascinating. So glad, so glad you're here tonight, Glenn, to tell us about all these things. So stay tuned, everybody. We're going to take a very short commercial break, and we will be right back. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With Cosmic Fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience 
of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Astridian products contain the proprietary redox technology, having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutase effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200 an hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging, and as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astridium family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridium. Visit www.astridium.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridium, the beauty of being healthy. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, Patricia Kirkman PK, roasting her, her way through the evening. Right. 102, like still up to two. Oh, God. That is just too hot. I'm sorry, but it really is. It's just too hot. Now, listen, everybody, if you want a numerological reading, then you need to go to patriciakirkman.com and make an appointment to speak with PK, and she will give you the lowdown on your personal numbers and what to expect coming up this year in this very strange year so far with all kinds of Earth events. So, uh, anyways, that's how you find her, patriciakirkman.com. You can also find her on supernaturalgirlswithaz.com. And if you want dream interpretation, you know to contact me. That's my favorite thing in the whole wide world. And you can find me at SupernaturalGirls.com. Just click on my email address, send me an email, and we can go from there. So tonight, we're talking with our guest, Glenn, who is explaining to us all these amazing secrets about these spirits and stones. 
the title of his new book, Spirits in Stone. It's a great book. Lots of pictures for people who like pictures of these very strange things that have come from the ancient past. And we were just talking about the constellation Draco and why it is important. So, Glenn, back to you. Why is it important? Well, I guess it's imp- the, the importance of Draco is found in the fact that it's circumpolar. And, um, you know, we're very familiar with the constellations that are equatorial that make up the zodiac. Everybody knows what sign they are, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners uh, understand probably a lot more about astrology than I do. But astrology is uh, based on astronomy, and it has to do with uh, the position um, of the constellations um, relative to precession of the equinox. And precession of the equinox, uh, to understand the importance of circumpolar constellations, because they were much more involved with tracking precession than tracking the um, the zodiac. Uh, the 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 uh, the connection is um, the pole star, which today is marked by Polaris, is the point in the sky where the Earth's axis points. So this is not a fixed point. It it describes a circle of about uh, 20, it takes about 26,000 years for this circle to get scribed by the axis of the earth in, in the sky. And that uh, point, celestial north, um, changes and its position is marked by different stars. So 5,000 years ago, the pole star wasn't Polaris, it was Drake, uh, it was um, Thuban. And Thuban is the third star in the tail of Draco, the constellation uh, that is the serpent or the snake constellation. Um, so Thuban once occupied the spot in the sky where Polaris is now, and that's the spot where the Earth's axis is pointing. Um, and, and again, it doesn't, it's not a fixed point. It, it changes over time due to the precession of the equinox, which is um, presumed to be caused by the wobble of the Earth's on, it, on its axis but there are different theories about what may cause precession. Um, it is a very interesting phenomenon because it's an observable from Earth that is only measured from objects outside of the solar system. So measured within the solar system against objects such as um, you know, the different planets, uh, you can't really see precession. But once you look outside of the solar system, you see this great cycle uh, that the Greeks called the Great Year and the Chinese called the Great Year, and it is um, the uh, the precession of the equinox and that that twenty six thousand year cycle, and a lot of ancient cultures um, relate this cycle to the rise and fall of human consciousness, to the rise of civilization and the and the destruction of civilization. Um, uh, this is written about a lot in the Vedic. In the East Indian Vedic scriptures, it's uh, referred to in the Mayan calendars with the Yaktuns and the Bhaktuns and the cycles that repeat on their calendars. Um, so ancient cultures knew about this cycle. Uh, it wasn't really math- mathematically proven until the time of the Greeks, but there's a lot of evidence that it was um, uh, observed and, and actually preserved in ancient mythology going back thousands and thousands of years. And this, again, ties us back to 
the constellation Draco and its relationship with the axis of the Earth and marking that point in the sky. Because when you look at Christian mythology and the tree of life with the uh, serpent wrapped around it, you know, you can find that same um, symbolism, you know, thousands of years before uh, the time of Christ. In, in a lot of pre-Christian mythology, you see this relationship between the serpent and the tree of life, and it may well represent the tree being the axis of the earth and, and the serpent wrapped around it being the constellation Draco, always um, always circling that point in the sky. And the, um, the change in that relationship of the pole star um, was always something that the ancients kept a close eye on and, you know, it, it didn't always portend good things when that relationship changed. So you talk about the rise and fall of consciousness. So when you discovered this particular Draco constellation uh, with the landscapes that you've been looking at, what did it mean to you? Did it mean that they were in a high period of consciousness, high consciousness, or where were they? Did that describe it to you? Well, that's, that's, a, that's, a, very, that's, a, that's a great question because looking at our point in that 26,000-year 20, cycle, and we can think of it as 12,000 years of ascending and, and 12,000 years of descending in, in the sense of consciousness, uh, we're just coming out of the lowest, lowest part of that cycle of that, um, you know, uh, kind of the, the, you can think of the dark ages, maybe 1500 years ago as the lowest, lowest point. And then as we started coming out of that, uh, we're, we're slowly working towards a higher uh, state of consciousness, but we've got, you know, 10,000 years to go. So if some of these sites are 10 or 12,000 years old, which I believe some of them are, uh, they would have been done uh, built by a group of humans who were existing in a time where, um, according to the cycle of procession, according to ancient Vedic scripture, would have been a golden age, uh, a very high level of consciousness, perhaps a state of telepathy between human you know, minds, um, you know, much greater ability, much more of our uh, brain being utilized in ways that we don't utilize it now, because we're at the low kind of dumb end of that spectrum, um, but, but, but heading in the right direction anyhow. Well, that's hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, I agree yeah. with you. I mean, that we are kind of, we're just out of tune is what I guess I like to say about these kinds of things. And, and here you are uh, getting us back into some type of vibrational connection with ancient civilizations that were really quite advanced in so many ways. But uh, you know what? Next time you go out on these journeys, you should take PK and I with, with you. Then, then you'll get the supernatural side of all of these things. Right, PK? We'll be sure to tell you <laughs> what we're seeing. Well, put together, put together, if you want to put together a group or a tour, uh, you're over in the Berkshires. We get people from the Berkshires yeah. all the time coming to visit the Overlook Mountain site. If you go to overlookmountain.org, you'll see the kind of programs, you'll see the, uh, the um, uh, features and the, 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 the wonderful stone constructions on the Lewis Hollow site that's uh, up on Overlook that we're preserving and, and um, stewarding for research and for education. So, um, yeah, feel free to, to contact us and put yeah, together be, a little outing. It'll be, it'll be great fun. <laughs> so people great idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're interested, then get get with us. Get to us on email or on our Facebook page and let us know that you have some interest in this because I do think that this might be a helpful part of our journey in in better, higher consciousness is being able to be with you, Glenn, uh, on these incredible sites and being able to look into the past and possibly connect with that type of vibration, that type of, of advanced communication, a whole brain activity. I would imagine that these stones, when you're sitting in the right place, that you would experience some whole brain activity, right? You would experience some type of a meditative um, situation or even more than that. Something that allows your kundalini energy to flow, you know, things, things that could happen that might not happen in other places. I would say that's true. I would say these are wonderful centers for meditation, uh, places for, for quieting the spirit. And, um, you know, Native Americans, uh, and I, I've talked to quite a few, uh, Doug Harris, who's the tribal preservation officer for the Narragansett in Massachusetts, uh, you know, he describes the purpose of these sites as um, for creating balance and harmony in our lives, in our society, in, in um, you know, between how we exist in nature. But he always just says harmony and balance. That's what these sites are all about and uh, figuring out how to attain that. And, of course, when you say we're out of tune, that's one of the, you know, the greatest things we're out of tune with is harmony with nature and balance in our life between the, the, the you know, the natural world and this, this crazy uh, electronic, um, you know, uh, future shock world that we're all confronted with, you know, how to, how to escape that. These sites are, are a key to that. Uh, and because, because it was a part of their everyday existence, uh, you know, 500, 5,000, 10,000 years ago when, when there was more, continuity in human society than there is now you know we're so segmented and fragmented into our little micro existences that um it's hard to have that sense of community but these sites represent that yeah it it really is hard i mean we do feel split you know on the one hand we're told all the time you create your own reality on the other hand we have the left brain saying no 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 the right brain saying yes 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 and it's nothing's coming together so we're missing that connection in our own brains let alone in our own lives so being present on these sites i agree with you i think that there is tremendous potential here for healing for and that's what i'm picking up on from your book and from what you're sharing tonight is there is that potential that the ancients had that connection between both sides of the brain and i know People don't really talk about it, scientists, in those terms anymore, but it's an easy-to-understand concept that we have more division in our own brains right down the middle than we do connection. So these sites, I think, have the potential to help us overcome that division. And this is great. I mean, I think, I hope you'll be doing more groups, not just with us, but with other people, to have that type of experience. It would be so healing. Yeah, well, we we love taking folks out and introducing them to these sites uh, because they they're you know they're everywhere on the landscape. I, the ones that I've identified are just really scratching the surface in the Northeast. Um, there's uh, there was a uh, I always reference this 1880 U.S. Census that as part of the 1880 Census they did a um, a stone fence survey in the Northeast 
um, documenting all the stone um, walls and stone constructions, and they came up with 240,000 miles of stone walls uh, in 1880. Um, wow. You know, two, two, that's enough to go to the moon or wrap around the earth 10 times. That's a lot of stonework. And to think that it was all built in, in the 200 years since the Europeans arrived and started settling is crazy. You know, there just wasn't enough of a population. So there must have been a lot of this stonework that was already here. Not to say that the, um, you know, the early colonial colonists and the, and the early Americans didn't build stone walls. They built tons of stone walls, but they didn't build all of them. And many of them uh, and the associated uh, Karens and, and, and chambers and, different things you find in the woods. Um, you know, many of them were part of a culture that was here before, um, you know, a very ancient belief system, maybe dating back to the very first humans that, that entered uh, the, the Northeast and the Hudson Valley and, and um, you know, the Catskills and even the Berkshires, because it's very much a, a, um, a pan-Appalachian phenomenon where we see these, these same types of sites all the way up and down the spine of the East Coast, uh, from Alabama all the way up to Maine. Um, so they're I, not, um, you know, they're not, they're not. Uh, I don't want to say terribly unique because each one is terribly unique, and also many of them are threatened and, and need to be preserved because they're just considered by most historians a dime a dozen colonial or early American stonework, and and um, you know the ones that are important ceremonial or sacred sites. It's important that we identify them and understand their their original purpose and um, their provenances, their origins, and and protect them and preserve them where where they're threatened, and they're threatened all the time. And threatened by people taking pieces of stone away with them, or threatened by development. What are they threatened by? Uh, all of the above. Yes, they're threatened by. Um, uh, ongoing uh, commercial and residential development constantly. Uh, this group NERA that I'm part of, the New England Antiquities Research Association, they're contacted uh, all the time by um, groups of people who are concerned about a site that's, uh, you know, and that's actually how I got involved in their group is I was um, sitting on a, a town committee for siting a cell tower and a lot of uh, people were attending the public hearing and they were concerned about these stone piles that were uh, in the in the uh, you know the site plan that was being uh, reviewed by the town. Um, so they called in this group Nira, and there were people who testified that these potentially could be um, Native American. And um, you know, of course, the cell tower was built. We we recommended not building it there, but they they built it anyhow. And there were five uh, stone mounds that were destroyed, uh, which oh, is very God. unfortunate. So 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 yeah, I mean, it's a, to me, it's a crime. Um, but these, uh, you know, they're constantly being threatened by development. And then there's the other type of threat, as you say, is people uh, become more aware of this. And I'm very careful in my book to not reveal the locations of any of these sites uh, because that would, that would um, not be good um, and, and it wouldn't be thought of as good uh, because the more attention they get, of course, the more uh, traffic they get and, and the more potential for um, misuse and destruction and people taking things or leaving things or trying to change things. Um, and if these are truly sacred sites and if they are um, uh, sacred and ceremonial to native populations, uh, they shouldn't be disturbed. You know, they should be thought of as churches 
and um, we wouldn't want people trampling on our churches, so we shouldn't really trample on others. Yes, and plus if they are destroyed that way, then we're losing opportunities to work with these uh, landscapes and basically tap into some of the ancient knowledge, which would be, that's a terrible shame to lose that. Right, because they do have a message, an important message, and there is something for us to learn from them uh, and from the patterns that they reveal. And uh, Yeah, and some of them even have strange writing on them. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah, there's a really interesting chapter based on the work of a, a, gr- a great uh, researcher named Zena Halpern. And Zena has a book that came out about a year ago, um, Templar, The Templar Mission to Oak Island and Beyond. And in this, she um, does an amazing job. Uh, I wouldn't call it academic research, but I would call it investigative research, where she connects the dots on a very complicated story that goes back into prehistory, uh, um, uh, having to do uh, with the goddess culture, the, one of the earliest cultures of, of humanity, the sacred feminine, and how at a time when it was purged from the Middle East in ancient Judea, um, some of its followers may have uh, traveled transoceanic in a voyage to America, um, you know, thousands of years ago. And there were found in Frost Valley in the Catskills a series of stones that were inscribed with um, ancient Phoenician symbols, proto, proto-Hebrew, um, that seemed to uh, indicate the presence of a goddess culture or a goddess deity that was being worshipped in this area. So these are the kinds of stones and inscriptions that wouldn't really be out of place had they been found in the Middle East, in Israel, or, or Jordan, uh, but to find them in the Catskills uh, in upstate <laughs> New York is kind of weird yeah. and out of place. But she does a great job of explaining how these could have come to be there and, and the connection to the ancients um, who may have brought them and lived and protected the information um, regarding the goddess culture uh, in, in, um, in North America. Uh, because we know that as we go further back in time, there was a, a matriarchal um, hierarchy to society where the women were much more in charge and running the show. This was true among ancient Native, pop- Native Americans, but also, you know, you go back uh, 7,000 years in, in the Mediterranean um, and in Europe, places like Malta. Um, and you find this goddess culture very prevalent and, and in many ways feeding the, um, the myths of ancient Greece. You know, when we think of ancient Greek mythology, they're talking about things that happened thousands of years before the time, you know, their time, thousands of years ago. So, um, you know, a, a lot of that had to do with this matriarchal goddess culture that um, ended up being, and now we're, you know, we're left with, uh, with uh, the men, calling the shots and you see where that's gotten us yeah we certainly do see that (laughs) (laughs) and we're not happy about it but we've got to learn how to own our power and get back to that goddess culture now you mentioned Malta. and and, and let me just say let me just i just wanted to say quickly that um you know i i don't think and maybe you know something something caused the downfall of the matriarchal society um, and, and to me, it's, it's finding the right balance. 
you know, I don't think it should be all matriarchal or, or all patriarchal. And now, of course, it is much more male-oriented and dominated, and that's bad. So we need to get back to a balance. Um, well, you know, from what my understanding like, is about ancient matriarchal culture is it was more of a balance. It wasn't really that much of a hierarchy. So I think when I talk about it anyways, that's, the, that's how I reference it, is it was more of a balance. And certainly, yes, you know, we want to get back to, to that respect. For, for everything, for the earth, for ourselves, uh, male, female, uh, that, that's missing right now. There's a tremendous lack of respect. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, very, it's fascinating, though, that the stones tell the story. And they even do more than that. They can show us the way back if we want to pay attention. That's true. That's so true. Um, the, uh, there's a chapter in the book on, on Malta. And the stones and the, the uh, megalithic culture there, and the, the temple culture, they built temples, uh, ama- amazing temples, that also have um, connections to electromagnetic and, and unseen forces. But they, they um, the, the, the goddess temple culture of Malta was very much um, involved with understanding the properties and, and the power of sound and sound waves yes. and how that, that, how that affected our brain. <laughs> Oh, yes, because they had these these stone uh, caverns that they constructed underground. Is that correct? And then you could, I mean, the sound capability within these things is is just totally amazing. Oh, yeah, the Hippogeum, which is the the temple you're referring to that was carved out underground. And and uh, these temples are thousands of years old. They're a thousand years older than the pyramids or or Stonehenge. it's got carved into it this, um, and I talk about this in my book because I think it's one of the earliest um, uh, architectural achievements where they were, uh, you know, form and function were coming together and how they constructed this temple to, um, to resonate and to have sound be such a, a, an important principle in, in, um, in, in, in whatever they were doing there. And that's still a mystery. <laughs> Uh, but I do think it has very much to do with, you know, uh, changing our brainwave frequencies and allowing us to do things mentally and psychically that we're not capable of today. Uh, but these were built with that in mind. And, um, exactly. and you know, so an- analyzing them and researching them and understanding their true purpose and meaning and, and how they function is uh, is just starting to happen. I was at a conference in Malta in 2014 uh, it's the first international conference on uh, archaeoacoustics, the archaeology of sound. And since then, they've had two more conferences. Uh, uh, the most recent taking place in Portugal just this past fall. Uh, I was not able to attend, but um, this research is ongoing, and people are looking into this field of archaeoacoustics. Um, uh, you know, it's really in its infancy, but they're learning so much about the location of these archaeological sites. The caves, the oldest paintings, cave paintings in the world, um, a lot of the places where these cave, uh, um, cave paintings have been created uh, are the places where the, um, you know, the frequencies reverberate, where the echo is the strongest. Uh, so they, they chose the spot to do their paintings where there were these acoustic properties. Uh, and I think that's fascinating. And not only in the caves, but also outside in places like Chaco Canyon, 
they're finding that the largest concentration of, of, of um, rock art is in the areas where there's the greatest uh, natural reverberation or echo. Um, so this was, this was something they, they, you know, identified and, and understood and, and incorporated into their spiritual practices. Yeah, it's incredible. Malta has always fascinated me. I, I mean, it was just something that actually one of my one of our co-hosts here, Becky Andresen, and I discussed going there at one time. Unfortunately, she passed away before we could make that trip together. But uh, there is something so special about that place. And at the same time, something a bit spooky because there was a big disappearance there. A group of children disappeared. They were taken on a tour uh, into one of these caverns and never to be seen again. And we're going to talk more about disappearances in these stone fields when we get back from this very short break. So it's going to get spooky, everybody. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with Cosmic Fusion and Quantum Vortex Energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the Source. With Cosmic Fusion, the Source Energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Astridian products contain the proprietary redox technology having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutase effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200 an hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. 
Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging and, as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astridium family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridium. Visit www.astridium.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridium, the beauty of being healthy. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK, and our guest, Glenn Kreisberg, who's the author of a great book. It is called Spirits in Stone. So, Glenn, we're talking about disappearances now, one of my favorite topics, (laughs) and scariest topics. Uh, Now, are you familiar with the disappearance in Malta? No, I haven't heard about that. Um, that sounds quite unusual. <laughs> when did that and happen? And it was. I, I, you know, I don't remember exactly the details, but I remember being transfixed reading about it because not only did these children disappear, but what was really spooky is that people claimed that they could hear them calling out for help weeks later, but they couldn't get to them. They couldn't find them. And also the teacher that was with them claimed to have encountered a very unusual alien-type being. So uh, there may be more to this. Besides the acoustical effects of these caverns, there may be some other people living down there um, that we, are, we have not yet met. So it's quite an interesting story, but I highly recommend everybody look that one up because it's well-documented. And now let's move well, into an even spookier one. I'm sorry, go ahead. Do you have something to say about that? Oh, I was just going to say, um, when you go and visit the temples in Malta, if there's one thing that strikes you about them is that there are um, incorporated into their construction everywhere are portals. Uh, And they can't be described as anything but a portal. Uh, uh, They lead from one one chamber in the temple to another. Um, To me, they seem like they're projecting energy through, whether it's sound energy or mental energy or what kind of energy, they are portals. And, um, you know, one, one of the things that the ancients may have uh, been able to do, one of their abilities may have been some type of um, interdimensional shifting, traveling between different realities, contacting the spirit realm, which, um, you know, all of this discussion of, of abductions and aliens um, correlates greatly with, the types of things that people experience um, when they uh, have a um, altered state, maybe let's call it a psychedelic experience. I don't know if you're familiar with Rick Strassman and and his book, the DMT, the spirit molecule, but uh, it's fascinating research done in in the university of Arizona with DMT and subjects who've taken this very powerful trip and they all report the same thing, you know, being contacted, coming in contact with, um, with a being that's trying to communicate with them, or in some cases, past knowledge, 
or in some cases just scare the shit out of uh, whoever's having the encounter. But, uh, you know, very, very similar experiences in, in many of the subjects. Yes, it is a fascinating book. And also <laughs> portals just in general. We've had Patrice Chaplin on our show several times who wrote a book called The Portal about the portal in Girona, Spain. We've had Jerry Wills on the show who actually physically the only person that we've met so far who physically passed through a portal disappeared in front of people's eyes. And this happened in Peru. So these portals are quite powerful. And now you're talking about the ones in Malta that I don't even think have been fully understood yet in terms of the, what's, what they're really for, what their, what their purpose is. This is fascinating that you brought this up, Glenn. I love it. This is great. So let's move to, disappearances in boulder fields, disappearances in national parks, oftentimes they are in or around these particular stone structures. So you and I and PK were all talking before the show about David Polite's work. He is a retired police detective who assembled all of these cases that have no explanation there are tremendous similarities amongst them, but one of the things is this correlation with either boulder fields or large pieces of stone, and people seem to disappear, never to be seen again in these in these areas. And and you were saying, so it's fascinating, but you said you haven't heard of this yet. No, I'm not familiar with David's, uh, David Pilates' work. Um, you mentioned it uh you know, I, this would, to me, have to fall in that category of unexplained phenomenon. Uh, whenever you have kind of physical, dis, you know, people just disappearing out of thin air, uh, you know, that's a little unsettling. And, and um, you know, yeah, if, if, really. it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's a legitimate case, you know, you'd figure that it's been reported to um, the authorities and that there, you know, are investigators looking into where these people went. Um you know, to try to understand what's going on. It's like, I don't think they have the ability to look into where these people went because they may very well be passing into other dimensions or other worlds. And we don't have the technology yet to, or the, even the, the intelligence to understand how these things work. So it's a, it's a fascinating thing, but again, the power of these stones, they hold more than what meets the eye. What they do you do. think there's stones that, that could cause something like this to happen or make conditions right for this to happen? Well, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, every stone has every, every stone. No, I'm sorry. Say again. I, I said, sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here, but it's a fascinating question. Oh, no, I no. think we all, yeah, and it's interesting to speculate and, and, and contemplate this type of thing. You know, uh, what I was going to say is that every every stone on Earth has within it a, uh, some amount of magnetite, um, which which um, points to the poles. You know, the North and South Pole have the you know like the, the the Earth's electromagnetic field is like a giant magnet, and the magnetite in rocks uh, points the way north, uh, and that that has um, told geologists that the 
poles, the electromagnetic poles have shifted and they've even shifted in, in human history. Um, and what that pole shift does is, you know, anyone's guess, uh, it could be almost inconsequential, but at the same time, it could have tremendous consequences, uh, both physically and perhaps mentally, if we were to suddenly have a shift in, in, you know, the polarity in every cell in our body, um, but, you know, the, the, the magnetite in the rock to me is a very mysterious thing. Um, and a lot of the properties in nature, um, you know, it's interesting when, when uh, until the Greeks came along and invented uh, scientific and technical terminology, before that, everything was described in kind of symbolism and allegory. Um, so you didn't have these... Um, you know, these terms that we are familiar with today, like, um, you know, static pressure or hydrology, these concepts um, that were labeled by the Greeks with these terms were always described. They were observed by ancient humans and described in, in uh, you know, symbolic ways, in allegory. You know, the, 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 um, the mountain goddess that provided pure water to the to the community you know the greeks came up with well that's hydrostatic pressure that's providing that um but but the um the power in the words and in how we relate to these sites and how we mentally uh encounter them and understand them is really what helps us define how they can be used and and how we can connect with them and through them yeah. to other perhaps to, to, to other realms yeah, I think it's a, this would be a fascinating study to do to see what kind of energy these boulder fields are putting out. And you mentioned magnetites. Do they have so much magnetite that they're creating almost like a force field? I think of it as like one of those electro um, electric machines that zaps mosquitoes. You know, it's kind of could it be something like that? That it's so powerful, but un really undiscovered by us so far. Or could, and or, these or, or are could, walking or, into it. Well, right. Or could it be, um, you know, in, in the book, I, I talk about um, some of the work done, again, by John Burke in, in Karnak. There's a whole chapter about Karnak, Stones for the Living, and trying to understand the site in, in France, this amazing, probably the largest megalithic site on the planet, and what it was created for and, and why. And these, to me, when you look at it and you study it and, and my book refers to and is actually provides the first English translation of the work of, of um, the French researcher uh, Paul Monroe, Maru, Maru. <laughs> um, and, and in the book, it's, and it's translated by Roz Strong, uh, a wonderful uh, patriarch of NERA. Um, and Moreau shows how these sites um, were like giant earth science centers where they studied all the different, you know, astronomy and, and uh, seismology and geology and all the different aspects of the natural world um, through, through these sites and through how they were constructed. And, and um, yeah, I, I just think there's, there's a lot of clues out there that researchers are just kind of trying to put together. It's, it's, um, it's not one research or one discipline that's going to solve the mystery. It's a multidisciplinary approach where you have a lot of people from a lot of different angles coming at the problem and trying to um, 
understand it and then and then things kind of come together and you get some answers um but burke burke was a was a big one yeah i mean it's we are so limited by our own science it's not even funny and yet if we were able to to meet one of these ancient people i bet they could just look at this and tell us what was going on i mean that's what we're missing here is that we're so reliant on a faulty science, you know, that like you're saying, we have to have a multidisciplinary team come in and then they got to bring all their equipment in and they still can't figure it out. So uh, again, didn't the ancients have so much to share with us and we've missed out. You're bringing it back though, through your book and through your tours and, and being available to people to talk about this kind of thing, like with us and our audience, we're so grateful because it's a very important piece that we've been missing. That's so true. And and there was a time where it was much more innate in our existence. And now it's, uh, it's just the opposite. We're very disconnected from it. So um, finding ways to, to finding ways to finding ways to reconnect, finding ways to relate to these things again uh, is, is um, you know, it's a, it's a good purpose, a good goal. It really is. And I noticed in your book, too, you mentioned a place called, I can't remember the exact term, but it had the name devil in it, devil something. And one of the things that Polites found is that a lot of people disappeared in places with the name devil, which was attributed to the Native Americans who had been there for many, many years that had named it with that particular name. So it was kind of like a red flag warning, stay away. And this goes back to just what I was talking about a few minutes ago, that in fact, the ancient cultures would have known, you know, you better not go walking through this area because X, Y, and Z might happen. So there, there was an understanding there. And even with more recent tribal cultures, they understood that there was danger in these areas for whatever reason, but certainly Paulides has identified that a lot of people have disappeared in these areas where it had that name, devil, in it. So again, another interesting piece, and we're still stymied by it. You know, We don't understand it. We can only say these people went missing there. But again, ancient cultures, they tried to warn us by naming it something that they hoped we would stay away from. And we didn't. <laughs> well, it's a, it is, it is, and that's that is fascinating. And I, I, uh, I do make the point in the book about areas in our region with the name Devil, because there are so many of them. We have um, just in in my area, the Catskills. You have Devil's Acre, Devil's Tombstone, Devil's Kitchen, Devil's Path. You know, all these Devil names, Devil's uh, Devil's Dance Chamber, very famous spot i have a chapter on that on on the uh on the hudson river there's dance gammer point which is uh dance gammer is in dutch for dance chamber and what we have to remember is that when the dutch first settled in new york um they where the, where they saw you know these were calvinists um and when and, and when they saw where the where the um Native Americans were carrying on their spiritual and ceremonial activities to these Dutch Calvinists. This was devil worship. So they were the ones who named these spots devil because they uh-huh. considered the Native, Amer- the Native American religious practices to be devil worship. Of course, they weren't. But this is how the Calvinists and the early settlers saw these locations. So if there is something that's named devil, 
you can be sure that that was a place of extreme importance and reverence to the native population. And that's probably a clue to where they carried out some of their heaviest magic and medicine. So, um, you know, looking at, again, these, these place names and, um, and what's found there. And of course, in all these places that I just mentioned, uh, in the Catskills and in the Hudson Valley that have devil associated with their name, there are these wonderful uh, Karen sites and, and uh, megalithic sites that uh, you know are associated with those those uh, places. So um, again, this is a pattern: uh, the 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 devil place name and the location of these stone sites uh, do correlate. Uh, the site uh, Dance Camera Point and the Dutch called it Dev- uh, Devil's Dance Chamber, and it was named by no other than, no, none other than the crew of Henry Hudson's. Uh, ship the half moon when they sailed up the Hudson river on their third voyage of discovery in 1609. Uh, in September, they were coming up the, the Hudson river about a day's travel from New York city. And th- at night they passed dance camera point, this prominent point of land that juts out into the Hudson on the West bank. And the natives were having a ceremony going on there where they were dancing with their bodies painted uh, around a ring. Um, uh, what's described as rings of fire. So it was a, a big point, and and it was obviously the center of a ceremonial, uh, of ceremonial activity, for the native tribes. This would have been the Wappingers and the the Muncie, the Lenape that lived in that region of the Hudson Valley. And what I found in looking at this location of Dance Camera Point, and there's a, a wonderful chapter about this in the book, is that that point of land has a relationship to the creek, the mouth of the creek directly across the river and slightly north uh, called the Wappingers Creek. And from Dan's Camera Point across the river to Wappingers Creek and the, and the mouth of that creek where it empties into the Hudson, you have an alignment for the summer solstice sunrise and the winter solstice sunset and the rise of Pleiades uh, in the northeast and the summer solstice and the alignment with the galactic center uh, in the winter on the, on the uh, winter solstice to the, to the southwest. So a very, very important point of land, and um, it explains why the Native Americans were, in fact, having a ceremony and why it was important to them, uh, because to me, I think it it shows that this was in some way the center of their spiritual and probably political world, um, the the, uh, this dance camera point in the mouth of the Wappingers Creek Um, and all up and down the Hudson. You have places where you have major waterways. Um, flowing into the river, tributaries up in Kingston, close to where I'm at. You have uh, the Rondout, the the Walk Hill, um, uh, the Esopus, all major waterways and travel corridors for Native populations, all converging on the Kingston area, where you had a population that continually inhabited the region for over 10,000 years. And, you know, you don't have that without civilization, without sophisticated belief systems, without people staying in one place long enough to track the movement of the stars and, 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 you know, things in the sky very closely. Um, so all of that, all of that happened though. Um, very few scholars or academics get, you know, give credit or acknowledge that. Well, our history isn't what we think it is. It's really so much different. And the, and also native Americans have that I know have talked a lot about connecting with your ancestors. You can see the value of that 
given your research and what you found in these stone landscapes that connecting with your ancestors would might bring you back to that point where you could share in the information that they had so naturally that we've lost. So all of this is coming full circle, I think. I hope we're still on the upswing of consciousness. I hope so. <laughs> I think so. It's just going to take us some time to get there. I have less than 10,000 years. Are we in the 10,000-year cycle? Are we, like, have another eight to go? What is it? Where are we in that? Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, in, if, if you go by the Dark Ages being the lowest point of that, of that uh, processional cycle, yeah, we're a couple thousand years into that 12,000-year upswing. So we've got another, yeah, eight, 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 you know, eight to ten to go. Uh, in the Vedic tradition, in the, in the Vedic <laughs> tradition, those 12,000-year cycles are broken into what they call the, the um, you know, the, the uh, iron, the silver, and the golden age. And the Golden mm-hmm. Age um, does take up a larger segment of that cycle than do the uh, Iron or the Silver Age. So that's good news. We spend more time that's at the higher end that, that, than we do yeah. at the lower end. But we're, unfortunately, we're Yay. stuck, uh, you know, on the lower end at, as we speak. So. Oh, gosh. Well, hopefully with your work, that the great work that you're doing, and bringing to everybody in the world who wants to improve their consciousness, you're, you're really opening a door on something that's long been ignored. It's just super. Well, and that's important to realize is that we do have it. It is within our ability to hasten that, that consciousness and to do things to help, uh, you know, get us there. Even though maybe society is not there, we as individuals can get closer to it through meditative practice, through understanding the, uh, you know, the, the mysteries, the mystery schools of ancient times that there still are remnants of that to be, to be um, you know, discovered and, and understood. I don't know if you're familiar with Gurdjieff or, or um, you know, some yeah. of these, uh, yeah, you know, um, mystics who uh, helped unravel some of these mysteries um, and show that there still is the knowledge here um, to to be attained if we um, are disciplined and and know where to look and who to who to listen to. Now we've heard people talk about spirits that live in trees. That trees have their own spirit. Do you feel the same with stones? That stones have their own spirit within them. I do. I think. I think uh, again through this um, concept of agency, humans can put spirit into inanimate objects. It's, it's based on our beliefs. If we um, find the meaning, if we, if we find the relationship, um, you know, I don't think that they have a spirit or a consciousness necessarily of their own, but I think they are very, they're like vessels that um, can be filled with, the, with a human spirit, um, like, like, a, uh, like, a, like, like a tombstone you know, like a memorial stone. There's spirit in that. Uh, and it's placed mm-hmm. there by those who find, you know, what it's, what it's representing important. So, yes, we can create that. Okay. So I think I understand what you're saying. So, um, because, again, with these stones being so powerful, I, I mean, it lends me to believe they might actually have their own spirits. And certainly that they can attract spiritual energy that they can contain it. 
that's a certain possibility. Uh, I mean, again, there's just so many strange events that have happened around these stone landscapes. Um, and again, I think there's so much more to it. And I really hope in your travels and in your studies, you'll be able to uncover even more about these landscapes. Well, I hope to. And, and I certainly don't claim to know all there is to know about these things. I don't think anybody can. And it is a, a journey of ex- exploration and discovery. Uh, and a lot of that is self-discovery, um, which, which mm-hmm. these sites help us, help us do. Now, another question. When you go to these sites, do people camp out in them? Do you actually, you know, put out a cot and sleep there? A couple of these sites are located on state land in New York State, DEC land, where it is permissible. I haven't personally camped at one of these sites. I know there are some people who have spent the nights in the stone chambers in Putnam and Dutchess County, and some of them have experienced and and reported interesting experiences. Um, But I haven't done that yet, but there are a couple of sites um, on state land uh, up in Spruceton Valley, uh, in Mink Hollow. These are places where you're allowed to camp. So um, you can certainly go up in there and wander around and find these sites and potentially, um, you know, pitch a primitive camp and spend some time, you know, Communing. Yes, it sounds so exciting. Well, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on the show with us tonight and sharing all this wisdom, which I know our audience really appreciates, and we certainly do. And we're anxiously awaiting your next adventure and your next book. So please keep in touch with us, and we will be sure to have you back. This has been great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks, PK. And uh, yes. thanks to all your listeners. Yes, it's a delight well, to have you with us this evening, for sure. It really is. Thanks again. And next week, everybody, we've got Amy Major. She's coming back to talk about clearing your house of all those spirits that don't belong there. She's going to be talking about her new um, her new place up in New Hampshire where she is offering classes, but most importantly, how to keep your space clear. In the meantime, everyone, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. I'm sorry, what? I had, I had a friend of mine, I told her, I said, if it sounds like that we keep to- over-talking each other, let me know. She sent me a flash and told me that it was distracting. So that's why I just shut up and let you two talk. Because oh. what was said was very interesting. And I, yeah. And I thought that was better than, because the things that he had to say and you were talking about were very interesting. But if it kept getting knocked out when I would go to say something, it wasn't beneficial to our audience. So I just went quiet instead. Oh, I wondered why, but uh, I didn't, I didn't feel that we were talking over each other, but maybe I missed that. So 
That's too well, bad. We got to find a way to get it back on video yeah. so we can see each other. Yeah. So much yeah. easier. It started out like that, and that's why I said to her, uh, the one that has complained in the past, and I said, let me know if, if it, it's distracting. And she sent me she, uh, one a message. She said, well, not great. And the second time she said, yep, it is. So it would knock, oh, just like right now, we, we would knock each other out. And yeah. something that was yeah. important that you were talking about, I didn't want them to miss it. I would rather they have a, all the information well, than. Thanks. thanks for staying on top of that. And, again, I've got to find a way for us to get back on video so we can see each other. It's so much better yeah. that way. So, well, anyways, we have, I think. Yeah, we've got one more week on Blog Talk, and then we'll be on Spreaker. But in the meantime, I've got to find out if we can do Facebook. We can probably figure out a way to do Facebook Live and stream it, and then we can see each other. Um, it's going to be a be separate thing, be but we can see each other. It's so much better that way. So oh God, yeah. i, I got to look at should have some time uh, this weekend to take a peek at some of this technology and see how we can do it easily. So it can't be that hard. There's plenty of people doing it. Yeah, I'm sure. But like I said, rather than distract, because the subject itself for some people would have been foreign, and rather than distract, I would I was just rather to go quiet like that. But well, thank you. Fine. I like that. Yeah, well, thanks. I was, I was like, where did she go? I know she has questions. No, I, I was sitting here listening, no. and I thought, no, because a couple of times it went to say something that would cut off it would cut off what he was saying or what you were saying, and you guys were so much on point. There was no point in messing it up, so I just thought it was better. Well, thanks. Thanks for that, and so we're, we're going to figure out a way to fix this because I really miss seeing you on video. Not sometimes you won't. <laughs> We're doing fine. We're doing fine. All right. Well, thanks for your help tonight, PK. I really appreciate it. Great numerology segment. I really enjoyed that numerology segment tonight, too. That was a good one. Well, thank you, Della. There's going to be more crap hitting the fan pretty quick. I think so. I think until this month is over. And now it looks like North Korea wants to back out. I saw that. How weird. Uh Oh, yeah, yeah. I I don't know if going to be with us either much longer. I think the whole place is going to go. Well, there's a lot of stuff going to hit the fan in, in more ways than one, but uh, I tell you, good old USA. Users synonified. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I'm glad we live here. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, that's oh, for I sure. No other country. They, <clears throat> they still... They've got to make up their minds on some stuff. But anyway, I'm going to check out some things also with somebody about some things that they did for videotaping, audio taping, and see what they know. Yeah, find out if they have a good program. Like, yeah, and let me know. We'll get back on that. Okay, honey, have a good night. Have a good night, dear. You too. Bye-bye, dear. Thanks. Bye.